0: Hey fans, want new flooring and want it now. March is the time to buy at Floors to Your Home, right Brian Kahn? It really is, JMV. We have the state's largest selection of new flooring in stock. And we've just received additional truckloads of new hardwood, laminate, and waterproof flooring. So we're marking everything down. Brian, I'm looking at some of your incredible deals. We always sell up to 50% off those big box stores. But for a limited time, you can get new flooring starting at just $0.80 a square foot. 80 cents a square foot that's incredible that's three rooms of hardwood laminate or waterproof starting under 350 dollars at floors to your home and you can get it right now we have over 1200 styles in stock floors to your home is the place for the lowest prices anywhere in indiana I'm doing my whole house. Three very convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who has the lowest prices on flooring? Floor's your home. That's who.
1: On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from the Indianapolis Star, he is Joel A. Erickson, who covers the Colts, joining us. So was yesterday, you think, a signal regarding that trade of Stephon Gilmore that, all right, this team is not going to be – that good this season we're going to try to squeeze out some more cap space you know maybe get a guy that's going to be 33 years of age as a corner to a team where he could try to get a win because certainly a year ago it probably was not what he expected was that a signal a warning shot of sorts for folks around here to what to expect with this Colts team in 2023
2: well I think I think the, the first warning shot is just sort of the when when Jim Irsay said, we're, we're you know basically at, at Shane Steichen's introductory press conference that all but said, you know we want to draft a quarterback. Uh, you know r- rookie quarterbacks are not uh, you know when you draft a rookie quarterback you're not expecting uh, to get the the benefits immediately in terms of wins. Um, you know you you could go through just about any of the young guys who are out there right now who are really really good and none of them some of them didn't play very much the first year some of them played and, and it was up and down. Some of them, you know, in Burrow's case, uh, he was pretty good, but he got hurt. And before, even before that, they weren't winning. You know, so usually usually when you're in this position, you're, you're probably not uh, going to win. I think, you know, the, what, what Andrew Luck did in his rookie season in terms of a, a win turnaround is, is the exception, not the norm.
1: So Joey Erickson of the stars on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I think part of the issue here is – is that this? The fans have been promised so much over the years, and there has been um, nothing delivered. It, it makes it, I think, even more tough for them to buy into something like this right now.
2: Well, I mean, it, I guess it depends. There's a lot of fans who there's a lot of fans who who don't want the Colts to keep continuing to do what they've been doing, which is trying to. I mean, the Colts were trying to stay competitive with with these other signings, and they weren't taking the big swing out rookie quarterback, which is which is the long term play. And I think there's a lot of fans who who just desperately want them to take the long term play and are willing to take the the short term pain of of you know not being considered a a favorite to win the division and and maybe not be uh you know maybe, maybe not winning a ton of games next year. Uh, I, I think there's a significant segment of the fan base that's fine with that as long as they get a good young quarterback. Um but I mean that's that's the that's the hard part. Getting a good young quarterback is the hard part.
1: Yeah, full disclosure here too, Joel. I I thought you know, regarding the trading of of Gilmore, understandable. I thought bringing in a kicker was understandable. Uh, one that's got more accuracy, one that has a better leg, a longer leg, especially if you got an offense that may have midfield stalled out drives, something like that, a way to try to get yourself some points when maybe that would not be your thought process in the past. And you know w- the way you look at Bobby Okereke, that made tons of sense too, bringing back EJ Speed and letting Okereke go as as they ended up doing. Who else do you think may not be here? That is a a common name to the fans when it's all said done well
2: uh, uh, you know it's it's really hard to tell what's going to happen with Paris Campbell right now um, the, the wide receiver market hasn't been great um, you know I think it's kind of topped out at that 11 million dollars a year range but you know I think if he gets maybe towards the top of that he might be headed elsewhere um, haven't haven't seen much on him um, I, we already know Matt Ryan's released I, 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 I don't expect I don't think, when it's all said and done, that Nick Foles is going to be here either. I don't think that's really a surprise to anybody. Um, I I I wonder about some of the. I wonder about some of the some of the veterans. Although the closer we get to the deadline, the more I'm wondering why, if they were going to, you know, make a move on on somebody who's who doesn't have much dead who doesn't have any dead money and and do that, you know, are they trying to swing a trade? Are they, are they just going to release them? We're kind of getting into that. Time to release category. Although I guess they don't necessarily have to, but normally you try to do that for the players' sake, so they have a chance to go go somewhere before, uh, when there, there's a full market. So, um, yeah, the closer we get here to the start of the league year, the more I uh, I kind of wonder, you know, where, where some of these moves are. Um, but, but and just because, just because, you know, Ballard even said at the at the combine, if, if we're going to make any moves on some veterans. Uh, those are guys who've been good Colts, and typically you try to do the right thing by them, which is, is generally to get them on the market earlier.
1: Joey Erickson of the Stars on the Andy Moore at a the Boto Group Hotline. Um, Samson Abukum, who comes here as a free agent from the Niners, a defensive end, um, 27 years of age. I'm assuming that will spell one year, a one and done for uh, you know, as far as you know what you're doing with uh, uh, Ngakwe moving forward here?
2: that's my assumption. That's my assumption. You know, uh, they, they, they're similar, they're similar body types, similar players. Um, Ibukum is, is better, much better against the run. Uh, he actually had, um, I, it depends to some degree. It sort of depends on which statistical, uh, thing you use, but the one I use sports info solutions has him as having six more pressures than in in about 70 ish, fewer pass rush snaps. Uh, so I, I think that's probably the case that I still think that there's probably, they, they probably need to make some more moves on the defensive line. You know, just, just going by what Chris Ballard's own words, he's always said they want to have, you know, eight or nine. Well, right now I count seven. I've got pay Odangbo Buckner, uh, Grover, Ibukum, uh, Taekwon, And then Eric Johnson, who was a fifth round pick last year. He only played, he didn't play a ton, but, was always kind of a developmental guy because he had extremely good explosive stuff. and He played at Missouri State, so he's a small school guy. Um, so I'm kind of expecting him to be in the mix. But that that still leaves, I think, if, if I'm thinking of it, that leaves probably three, right? Because you got to assume at least one is not going to pan out for one reason or the other. Injury, you know, doesn't fit the scheme but, as the, way that you, the way you thought, something like that. So uh, I don't know if those come in free agency, if some of those come in the draft, but there's, there's probably still some moves to be made there. Um, I would think with the defensive line.
1: Are they actively shopping Ryan Kelly? I
2: I I don't I can't confirm that I don't have a source telling me that. Um, it's it's it, it it's hard to tell with this it's hard to tell with the center market as far as if there's anything going on there because there's been a lot of centers who've kind of gone off the board I think there's a few teams that still need one, um, but yeah tough to uh tough
1: tough to tell yeah i'm yeah yeah curious about that and uh you know obviously as we move forward to the draft and it's funny people bring this up to me all the time i'm sure you get it all the time too uh absolutely unsurprised that i'm sure chris ballard had zero interest in giving up those types of assets to get up to number one um Lamar Jackson, I kind of laugh at that, too. I couldn't imagine that. I'd probably laugh even more at that than I would what he would give up to get up to number one. My assumption has been the entire time, semi-educated, if you want to call it that, my assumption has been they stay at four and believe where we are right now, they can draft Will Levis right there. You think that that is certainly an option as we move forward here to the draft?
2: Uh, Well, it seems there's a part of me that still keeps thinking that someone – Um, not Carolina because I've seen several local Panthers reporters report that they're not, they're not leaning this way. And I I feel like those are probably pretty informed opinions, but I I still keep wondering if if maybe there's a chance that the Texans fall in love with the possibility of Anthony Richardson and and kind of shake things up by making that pick at number two, um, leaving one of the, you know, shroud and young types to probably be fought over at three, I would guess. Um, I, I don't, I, I think, I think the most likely scenario though, the way it sits right now is that it's a, it's a Richardson versus Levis, uh, decision at four, maybe at three. Um, you know, there's some, the Raiders have, have still said they're open to trading up, you know, they signed Jimmy Garoppolo, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, Richardson and Levis seem like the most, the most obvious right now, based on what, based on what we know. But in, as, as we all know, we have. We have a lot of time here left before the draft and some pro days and some visits, which I I do think the visits are going to matter um, just based on listening to Shane Steichen talk at the Combine, both in his official capacity and then at Peter King's thing later. Where With Steichen, the the big thing is something that I don't think we can really know from a public standpoint. Steichen is looking for a specific mentality, a specific pursuit or obsession with the craft. and, and I think, you know, there's – I think if you – like, I think from a, a media standpoint, I think for the most part, every, kid, every quarterback's coach is going to say they have that. But Shane Steichen is the one doing the evaluating of that. He's the one looking for something that he saw in Hurts and Herbert and Rivers. And so I think that's the hard part of this is, is I, I think that's the most important thing to him over any physical trait. And it's, it's kind of hard to handicap who that guy is. Um, without second telling us.
1: so Jolie Erickson, the star, is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So Ashton Doolin's coming back. I do want to double back to something you brought up regarding Paris Campbell. Uh, is there any inner meaning there? I-, I thought that what he showed and the fact that he stayed healthy uh, would give him an opportunity to return and and obviously not break the bank for anything here. And, you know, whomever they end up drafting is going to need some help. So as far as Doolin coming back, does that mean anything re- regarding Campbell? And the other aspect of it is, is there a veteran wide receiver that you think they may like to bring in to help out this group move along this season too? There's not
2: anybody that I really like more than. Campbell for the Colts Um, I I just in terms of some of the guys that have come off the board and stuff it's just it's just not a good it's not a great veteran group here you know Um, I'm looking at I'm looking at the free agent list right now and there's just no names that are jumping out at me as somebody that I'm I'm super excited about bringing in as a three um, definitely not necessarily. Definitely not over Campbell. Um, he, he had a good season. I, I know he's got the injury history and everything. He had a good season here last year. They, they know him pretty well. Um, but I, I, I've just been thinking that there's a chance that they get outbid for him uh, by somebody else. Um, but it, it wasn't a good free agent class to start with. And now um, some of the younger guys, some of the guys in their mid, you know, mid twenties that are more the Chris Ballard signing of, of teams that are. I guess in build mode, if you want to say that, some of those guys are kind of, kind of gone, and a lot of the guys that are left are like, you know, Adam Thielen's in Carolina today. He's 32, and Nelson Aguilar's 29. You know, these are some of these guys are older, um, and maybe not the same. I, they they do need depth at wide receiver. It's pretty obvious. They you, you,
1: you don't think they need somebody that's a little bit more veteran to help this group out? Is that overrated? What I'm saying here.
2: Uh, yeah, i i I don't think they need. I don't think they necessarily need someone to show guys the ropes.
1: Uh, not with Reggie in the room, you know. Um, I, not, I thought he uh, may have the ropes shown to him some too, a little bit more. So I, I mean, just it's a theory, and I'm sure it may this, be garbage. This so
2: this like what a veteran, like the veteran player perspective. You don't necessarily have that with every wide receiver's coach, but you absolutely do with Reggie Wayne. You know. Um, now I, I don't know if there's if there's another part of the wide receiver game that uh, of the wide receiver coaching like if, you, if with a different you know like when Nick Sirianni was coaching wide receivers uh, obviously that was a coordinator's mind and there's some some schematic stuff he can add and, and Reggie might be doing some of that stuff but in terms of the, the the how to play the game what to look for all that stuff that was stuff Reggie was good at you know in training camp last year I, I was t- I, and I did a story shortly after training camp where those guys were saying like he's telling me stuff to look for that no one no position coach has ever told me to look for and it's always right so um i think that he kind of handles that as far as the, the having an old older guy there plus those older receivers they, they generally want to go someplace where um you know they they want to have a chance to contend and right now with without knowing who the quarterback is without knowing any of that stuff colts don't look like that team
1: you think uh, getting matt gay in here was important for a variety of the reasons I brought up a little bit earlier.
2: I, I, I saw some fans were pretty upset at that. And I, I was kind of joking with kind of joking with, with somebody else that after I've spent at least two years, uh, criticizing the Colts for, for not doing enough at kicker, it would be pretty hypocritical of me to, to see them, you know, go out and get an experienced, uh, not experienced kicker, a a very accurate kicker. uh, And, and and not like that move, right? You know, I it, I think some people had an issue with the money. It, it really, in the grand scheme of the things, the in, the in the grand scheme of the cap, it's just not that much. Um, you know, of, of five and a half million is is out of two hundred and I think the Colts' effective number was two hundred and thirty-two million. That's not very much. Um, and and just the last four seasons, basically since. Age caught up with Adam Vinatieri. The Colts have had an issue with kicking in every single one of those seasons. Obviously, there was Vinatieri in 2019. Um, Blankenship was okay as a rookie, but he had that missed 33-yarder against Buffalo in the playoffs. Uh, misses the game, winner, gets injured, all the uncertainty in Baltimore. And then, obviously, last year they, they lose. They, they didn't lose, but they, they tie the opener because he misses one on the foot. And, and that's, that's the thing. If you have a, an actual kicker that you believe in, the other thing is, you know, people are saying, well, we're, we're not in win-now mode. Well, if, if Matt Gay is the guy here, he'll be the guy here for the next decade. And at some point in the next decade, you'd hope that they're in win-now mode at some point. You know? Hey,
1: yeah. Hey, Joe, final thing. And we always hear this. It is so cliched uh, before and around draft time. We go with the best player available mentality. So if mm-hmm. the Colts were to draft a quarterback at four, would they violate that?
2: Well, that's a good question um,
1: <laughs> because I think most
2: people think that Will Anderson is probably the best player in this draft, the, the pass rusher from Bama. Uh, I do think that most teams, even if they don't say it, they end up violating that for quarterback. Um, and and ultimately, though, ultimately though, the, here's the thing: it's a, a player who is well. I mean. You know, a, a the eighth best quarterback in the NFL is much more valuable than the first best edge rusher or a first best left tackler or whatever, in terms of in terms of value to your franchise. So I think I think quarterbacks the one position where that doesn't necessarily apply, regardless of what teams say about their grade after the fact. I think quarterbacks the one position where that doesn't doesn't apply because having stability there and having a player there who you can win with is so so important in the NFL.
1: Yeah, I just you always think about that because this time of year you hear that more, more than you don't. And, and one final thing too, you think Gilmore? You think that was a bit of a nod to Gilmore trading him to the Cowboys, a team that's yes. ready to go right yep. now? Was that a lot yep. for him? Was that doing him a solid?
2: Yes, uh, I mean Gilmore is in that in that range as a corner. We, we've seen a lot of these great corners play pretty well late, and and mostly for winning teams. And I, I do think that's a nod. You know, he was usually good here. Um, I think he's a really good teammate, everything here. I do think that's a nod to him, too, and just, just hey, you, I, we, we know you want to play for something. Uh, I do think that that's part of it, yep.
1: Serious, Joel Erickson, the star, covers the Colts on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Things are just getting started for you, my brother, so I'm sure you're prepared <laughs> for it. <laughs>
2: yes, yes, as always,
1: as always. You know, one of the reasons, too, when they announced that they had signed a kicker that was reported, it's just where the Colts fans are right now. All right, so you got Ballard going into year seven, which is going to be year one of a reboot. This is basically what it is. And I think that he has three years in all. People say, well, this has got to be something. This year he's gone. I think he's got three years here. Oh,
2: I, I'm with you on this. I'm, I'm absolutely with you on this. I, you don't keep him and then hire a coach no. and then put the GM on the chopping block right away. That's That would be... Like that would be bad business for what you've just done with hiring Shane Steichen, and then it would be bad business for whatever GM you're you're bringing in. You you, it, you there's a reason teams don't do arranged marriages with coach and GM very often. It, it doesn't work that way. They have to be aligned. And Colts, I mean, Eartha knows that better than anybody. Uh, this is just, it predates me, but I'm I'm pretty aware of of the friction that there was in, in the previous um, between between uh, Gregson and, and Pagano that. Led to some stuff here, so I, I think Ursa and, I, and Ursa talked about this a little bit, um, hinted at this at, at some point in the recent past for how much he's never going to forget again that those two have to be aligned. So I, I'm I'm with you. I, yeah. I I think keeping him and hiring a new coach. Uh, I think this is this is a second chance for Ballard to build and and to get to where he needs to go. And then if it doesn't work out, then then they'll both probably be gone.
1: Sometime we'll have to look up exactly how many second chances like this have been handed out. After six years, too. That's a good, yeah, that's a good, that's a good It it has to be few and far, but normally you're talking about here, Joel, a guy like John Snyder, right? With the Seahawks, and you have a level of success. This, this is, to me, unheard of uh, in the realm of NFL.
2: Did Steve Kime maybe fall into that a little bit? Um, Well, he's gotten to hire some coaches, or I mean, he's he's done now, but he got to hire some coaches, I think.
1: Yeah, he did. He did. I, he. Did they have, 2013
2: did, to 2022 for for Steve Kime. and the Cardinals during that time not not the greatest record I, I would guess.
1: How many times they hit the playoffs? That's a good question. Well, at least once. Anyway, that's that's for a later date. I thought I'll bring yep. it. We'll bring that up next time you come on.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, it's it's a good point. Looking at it historically, that's a, that is a good point.
1: Joel, I appreciate you more than you know. We'll do it again soon. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline, Golden Black Illustrated, friend of the show, will be happy to know as a part of the JMV Takeover and B105.7 this weekend, while he is paying attention and obviously to Boilermaker Basketball, that there's going to be a hairband weekend going on at B105.7. So buckle up. That's, that's
3: music to my ears, my friend. You know, when I'm working, John, I turn my alternative TV on and go to Go to YouTube. I'll just find me like a YouTube 1980s hair metal channel. Give me some Cinderella. Give me some rock goddess. You know, you name it. Y&T. Some of the deep cut.
1: Oh, the Y&T. Yeah,
3: so. My friend, Y&T. How about that? That's a deep cut.
1: How often do you go to Don Dokken? Is that often? Yeah, we're, we're big, my wife's a big Dokken fan, too. She kind of was always
3: smitten with Don Dockin. Uh, oh, really now? now but yeah. <laughs> we love Dockin. Yeah, great white. So yeah, I, I can appreciate you. You, you know my, uh, you know my groove zone. So yeah, it's a good way to pass the time and take me back to well, where I was. In I made summer. a big
1: mistake. Then I brought you on with the outfield. Hey James, turn me up over here, wouldn't you? Let's bring Tommy Dinard in right here. Turn me up over here, James. Come on, man. Uh, joining us now from Golden Black Illustrated on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. And he's rocking like knocking. It's Tommy Dean Hard. Hello, Tommy D. Yeah,
3: hello, John. That's my, that's my walk-up music. That, that's nice. That, that's, that should be my walk-up music every time I come on the show with you. All right.
1: I just want to make sure you're thoroughly comfortable while on this program.
3: I love it. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's like I said, a lot of fun. And you know, here we are. I mean, you, yeah, I'm sure you guys have been neck deep in these brackets. And right. The first thing that hit me on Sunday was I flashed back to 1988. Yeah, I show my age when I say that. But 1988, Purdue actually opened against Fairleigh Dickinson. They could play in the first round this year. The second round that year, John, they played Memphis State up in South Bend. I was at that game against Larry Finch and the Tigers. Of course, Purdue could play Memphis this year in the second round, right? Yeah. Then there's a chance, John, in the bottom half. Was that Kansas bracket. State there, too? Yeah, Kansas State. Mitch Richmond. Yeah. Kansas State yeah. Kansas in the bottom half of the bracket, approved bracket this year. Of course, Kansas State was the heartbreak team and ADF and the Silver Dome. So, yeah, a lot of eerie parallels to 88. Of course, Purdue fans hope the outcome's a lot different this year, obviously.
1: Man, Mitch Richmond was a badass, though, honestly.
3: Oh, nobody knew it. You know what's funny? That year, they came to West Lafayette in late late December, Purdue smoked them by over 20 points. Now, I got one quick tribute question for you. You remember who the coach at K-State was then?
1: Uh, Hartman? Lon Krueger. Well, Lon Kruger was there then. Was, that, um, was was I right about, was there a Hartman there that was before Lon yeah, Kruger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hartman
3: there. Hartman, Jack Hartman was yes. there for a long time in Manhattan. But yeah, Lon Kruger, boy, I tell you what, great coach. That's really where he launched his career, obviously. Went on to a lot of great things from there.
1: I just, um, that may have been, if memory serves, uh, senior in high school, by the way, having a blast at the time, but if memory serves, one of the most frustrating games in the history of Boilermaker fan and of Gene Cady. I just remember him on the sideline being as frustrated and as angry as I've ever witnessed.
3: We've seen a lot. Well, there was one, 1990, John, in the Hoosier Dome. Purdue was the number 2 seed. That was the year Steve Scheffler was the Big Ten Player of the Year. Remember, they played Texas in a second-round game, and they got beat. They hit, a, they hit a shot late, and Katie thought there was a foul that wasn't called. And he went off, had a big fine after that ball ballgame. So that was one of the most living moments right there in Naptown in 1990.
1: Is there a similar apprehension as... They get ready to embark on this tournament. I mean, just a great regular season. You win the regular season in the Big Ten by three games, close out the Big Ten Conference Tournament. But, man, all of that is quickly forgotten because for most Boilermaker fans, from Friday and then into the future is all that really matters right now. Is there any apprehension from Boilermaker fans about that?
3: 100%. I mean – um, not not to take away what, what happened during the regular season and, and, and in Chicago last weekend to pull off the daily double there or the, or the season double. It was impressive, but here we are again, John, it's March. We all know the struggles Purdue's had there. We I mean, just, just watching the last six minutes of that game on Sunday, Purdue fans had to be scratching their eyes out wondering what's going to happen when, when some of these other big 12 teams and whatnot come and try to swallow up those freshman guards. So You know know as well as I do, it's a guard game, right? Having great seven-foot-four players is great. But this game usually comes down to who's got the better guards. And Purdue's got some nice guards, but they're freshmen. Um, You wonder how they're going to handle their moment. I think that the struggles of Fletcher Lawyer are well-documented. Will David Jenkins get to play more? Uh, So, again, I think there's there's certainly trepidation for Purdue fans any time you get to March.
1: I think you bring up a good point. I would expect Jenkins to get more clocked now because of those struggles. Is there going to be, there going to be? I hate to say it this way, a shorter leash in terms of, of the freshman because of his shooting struggles here recently and going to Jenkins and trying to get more and trying to milk that? Because that is really the reason, one of the reasons why he was brought in in the first place.
3: Yeah, I mean, just what he did on Sunday, the shots he came in and hit off the bench. It's nice having that off the bench. I think if you look at the box score, they both played roughly the same amount of minutes, about 20, I think. But what was excruciating was the fact that in crunch time, it was, it was Lawyer that was on the floor uh, instead of Jenkins. You've got, you got a guy in who Jenkins who's almost a 2,000-point career score. His story is well-documented, obviously, too, where he's played what he's done. Why, well, why, why not cash into all that experience and that savvy and use him, especially in crunch time? I mean, Lawyer doesn't have it, and he hasn't had it for a long time. So, it's going to be interesting to see how, how, how he's handled. You don't want to his confidence. I think he's had a little issue with one of his knees and a calf, too. So, he hasn't been totally healthy. But still, my paying. I lean on Jenkins.
1: And before we uh, travel on, uh, Todd Meyer, who's a huge, and I mean a huge Boilermaker fan, documents this for us. 88, Detroit, Kansas State. Everett Stevens dribbled the ball off of his leg, out of bounds, and that was the ball game. Clearly, that still haunts Todd Meyer.
3: <laughs> it haunts a lot of people. That was a, I mean, yes. gonna, you, you were a senior in high school in '88. That's you, you got to ask. Yes.
1: Yeah, that was the same year, what, that was the year Kansas and the uh, Manning and the Miracles beat Oklahoma in that championship game, right, in '88. yeah.
3: Yeah, and Stacey King and Billy Tubbs, they were, uh, yeah, and, and that, that Kansas played Kansas State in the Elite, eight that year up in the Pontiac Silverdome. So, yeah, that was a fun year. Of course, I IU won it the year before, Remember, Purdue wanted to share the Big Ten title in 87 with Indiana. And in some ways, John, I think that Purdue team may have been better than the 88 team because that 87 Purdue team had Doug Lee on it still. He went on to play in the NBA for a while. So a nice run for uh, for the Boilermakers there in the late 80s.
1: Doug Lee. was well done. D- yeah, Doug Lee spent time in the NBA, didn't he? <laughs> a number of years. That's a deep cut for you. He, he had you a sweet him. mustache, too. Did he have a mustache when he was, like, in fifth grade? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he
3: did. He was, he was a big buddy of uh, Doug Altenberger. Right <laughs> he grew up, like, in Washington, Illinois, over there in central Illinois. So. Oh, he was man. Good, man. He was a nice shooter. and um, Yeah, I mean, the Boilermaker memories in March. I remember, too, John, and being in Indianapolis in 1996, watching Duke play, like, Eastern Michigan, that's when Cheshesky wasn't coaching because he was hurt. And they kept t- staying over the PA to score the Purdue-Western Carolina game. Purdue was a number one seed. That's the yeah. last time they were a number one seed. Of course, that was the game they almost
1: lost. They almost lost.
3: Yeah. The whole stadium would groan every time they would <laughs> <know before> the score <laughs> Purdue game. It was unbelievable. Of course, they, they hung on to win that game. And, of course, subsequently lost to Georgia in the second round that year.
1: Doug Lee. I'm just glad you brought that up. You brought up Doug Altenberger too. We could do this forever. Like yeah, this, this we could go the rest of the show. I could give you uh Anthony Welch and Ephraim Winters and that group with Doug Altenberger. So
3: That's fine. That was that was my those are my college years. I worked in the sports information office, so I'd go to keep stats at all the games. The team that was really good then was Michigan. Yeah. And they had Antoine Jobert. Oh, Antoine Jobert. Uh, uh, Richard Relifer, those kind of guys. They were they were tough. Michigan won a couple Big Ten titles with Bill Frieder then.
1: I think Eric Eric uh, LaSalle when he played um, the guy in Coming to America. I think he got his hairstyle from Antoine Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Antoine Gilbert was sweet, so that was a lot of fun. So tonight we'll find out who Purdue plays, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I was talking to Matt yesterday about that and. He says that is, you know, not difficult, did he say, but it's it's a little odd to have to wait like that and not know who you're going to prepare for in a short period of time. What do you think overall about the draw that the Boilermakers got?
3: I think it's pretty good. Some people don't think their their region is quite as tough. Marquette's the two seed on the other side of the bracket. Of course, Purdue beat Marquette way, way long earlier this season. It's a different Marquette team now. So you got Marquette, and of course, and Purdue's half still, yeah, Duke and Tennessee, and of course Purdue-Tennessee was a recent vintage NCAA game that that classic they played in 2019. So maybe they played Tennessee in the second weekend. A lot of people, John, are picking Duke out of that that that, uh, that region, right? Right, Sirens team. So it's going to be fun. These guys will cut out for it, but just to get to just to get to the Sweet Sixteen, play any team like Memphis, who knows? Maybe FAU beats Memphis. That's a 31 and three FAU team. There, there are there are no gimmies once you get by that first game and in in, 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 that, in that second round for anybody.
1: How does the season that Zach Eady had overall compared to seasons in boilermaker history, individual oh, player wise?
3: Well, one of the best. You know, I uh, I uh, got to follow a lot of the, the big dog team in ninety three ninety four. I went to I went to Lexington that year and saw him beat Central Florida and Alabama. Then we went to Knoxville and. Uh, you know, for the, for the Sweet 16 in the regional that year. And it's on BKU, then lost to Duke and Grand Hill. And, and, and Big Dog season was off the charts. You, you obviously remember what he did. It's kind of funny. I think time forgets about Glenn Robinson and what he did statistically uh, as well as just carrying that team. And what Edie's done this year has been phenomenal too, right? And I mean, just otherworldly. So it's been a lot of fun to, to watch him and follow him. And, John, I think there may be a good chance they can get him back next year.
1: Yeah, I would imagine so, too. There hasn't been any, anything at all said about it. No, I, I, think, I think maybe, you know, we'll just,
3: I don't know. You know, they've got their collective. They may not even need to use their collective to maybe keep Zach. You know, I think with his personality, with the image he's cultivated, with the game he plays, I think a lot of people would like to be associated with Zach Eadie. That's number one. Number two, we all know he's not a top NBA prospect, right? He's not like walking away from being a lottery pick. Um, I guess it just depends on what you want out of life, but he likes he likes college and uh he's a special guy and uh in a lot of ways and I think maybe if 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 everything works out, you know, I I guess I wouldn't be shocked and maybe uh maybe he's back, maybe it's still a long shot, but I at this point if you were to ask me, I'd put it at fifty fifty right now.
1: Oh, you're fifty fifty as of this year? I think I think there's a 50/50 really? shot that he comes back next I, year. See I would I would honestly I sit here thinking it's cl- more close to 100%. You would certainly know better than I. I, I just think didn't there's, that there's think that there was a shot at all.
3: You think there's a 100% chance? Yeah, of I do.
1: Back? I do. Okay. Well, okay. What why, uh, why, why would you suggest 50/50 just out of curiosity, Tommy you, D? You,
3: you, I guess you never know if there, if there's an overseas opportunity if uh if one team falls in love with you what he's going to hear when he goes through the draft evaluation process, but Maybe it is one hundred percent. I don't know. Uh, I don't know Zach personally. I, I talked to a lot of people in and around the program and with the university, and uh, I guess I'm not to the point where I think it's a total slam dunk. But uh, again, fifty-fifty, still pretty good odds. If they get the National Player of the Year back, which I think he's going to be the consensus National Player of the Year, coupled with having Braden Smith and Lawyer back. Of course, you know Mason Gillis, whoever else you got, Miles Colvin coming in. Um, boy, John, that's a team that I don't know what everybody else has coming back, but at the very least, the preseason top five team next year, maybe the maybe the preseason number one team.
1: He is, I think, mid-second round by some of these mock draft predictors right now. I, I guess my question would be, of course. We've never seen it because we watch his dominance game to game in doing what he does in the post for Matt Painter. Does he have any any face-up type of shooting game range whatsoever that you've ever seen? Never,
3: never in a game. You know, he's got that nice little jump hook, but no real game where he can face up, face the basket and, and knock down a jump See, shot. because
1: people tell me about Trace all the time, Trace Jackson Davis. Hey, you know what? He can shoot from outside. He just doesn't. In games, people say that. I've never heard anybody say that. You know, seeing Zach actually face up and take any set idea, shots.
3: Any idea what a guy like for the Fort Wayne Fire Ants makes?
1: What did you get? Um, what twenty five? I think. I mean, he would definitely be. I, I think he would be an overseas type of guy you were right about one thing all it takes is one team and we we argue about that regarding trace jackson davis i just think trace is different because trace can be utilized as a rim runner and right now there just does not seem to be a spot whatsoever for the talent that zach possesses i mean at a high level don't get me wrong but it doesn't seem like that anybody in the nba would take a shot uh, take a chance take a shot at that
3: you know the NBA better than I do. I, I don't follow it that closely, but you always hear about being able to guard, what, the, the pick and roll, the pick and pop, being able to rotate. Yeah. It just seems like he really struggles to defend, and not, not beyond just being a rim protector, obviously. Um, so that, that seems like a, it would be a liability for him. There's a lot of things we know he does well, but – it seems like that's a detriment. And it's crazy for people of our era, John, who grew up. Yes. All those big guys, boy, they were, they were like, remember Sean Bradley, those guys who get snatched up in the draft very high. And now it's like. Uh, well,
1: look at dead. all they went through to get Yao Ming here, too. Uh, Yao Ming. And...
3: <laughs> I mean, that was just like a comic book character when he came over. But, yeah, like everything in life, it just, it's always evolved and changed. It's, just, it's too bad. But, you know, what's nice. That, that's what's cool about college basketball, college football, too, for that matter. Is you can you can have different skill sets, sizes. You can run the option in college football and have, have fun, and you can see different different types of attacks and, and, and skill sets. With the NFL, those pro sports, there, there's a real homogenization. There's a real sameness to everything, you know.
1: Who's the uh, fourth? So it's it's Zach, it's Trace, it is um, Sasser of Houston, and Brandon Miller. The freshman from Alabama. Who was the fifth? Uh, just Jalen Wilson from Kansas. You know, you it's fl- today? I'm telling you, these guys, Jalen Wilson is at the end of round one projected. Obviously, Miller here is in the lottery wow. inside the top three. Yeah. yeah, Everybody else is, you know, either at the end of round one or in the second round right here.
3: Hey, did you see, I saw before I came on with you that they had armed security for brandon miller today yeah i saw that and i didn't man i mean i just i'm sure you talked about this a lot and i, I listen to a lot of podcasts and read a lot and what a—I mean it's just a terrible storyline to have hanging over the tournament but that's the storyline right yeah it is that, that's it, that is. and then and then bill self bill self coming back from like having stents putting his heart this quick yeah really yeah really back right away <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> I
1: mean, right that, away.
3: I mean, that's not the kind of storyline you want, either. What happens if something happens to him on the sideline during a game? Can you imagine?
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing. It is. I mean, it, it, the, the Alabama thing is oh, is beyond belief. So
3: I just, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get, I'm sorry, because he probably talked about it for for, for hours and hours the last couple of weeks, but how can you not, if your band will at least sit him now for a little while? I mean, if your standard is, well, he wasn't indicted. He can play after all you know. Wow, I mean it's just it's just unbelievable. I don't unbelievable. believe
1: I don't believe Nate Oates has really cared too much about oh. that. I Let think he's about winning games. So
3: if he's if he's you or I if if you or I are the tenth guy on that team and we do that,
1: we're suspended the next day. Yeah. Well it's
3: a tenth guy the bat, you know.
1: It it makes it makes you wonder, you know, once they get into the deeper details, you know, in depth after the season and he moves on from Alabama, you wonder, you know, what Nate Oates' fortunes may end up being there. Just not right now. Just not right now, because you know what matters to them right now. Oh uh, god. How how that's gonna be viewed after the season and then after the season is when maybe they, they decide to take the high road, right?
3: Hey, yeah. I and mean, how about the SEC? They, they they just bring Chris Beard into Ole Miss. Or they're going to, right? <laughs> yeah, if, you read, if you read the details of that release report, well, so you're Chris I'm sorry.
1: Beard. I think I think Will Wade at McNeese State and already being suspended is much better, even than the Chris Beard to Ole Miss. Well, so.
3: then, well then, well football wise, they they bring in Hugh Freeze to Alabama. And then, of course, Texas A&M brought in Bobby Petrino. So, that, that, and the SEC, I mean, we all know we all know it matters more. It just matters more than the SEC. It certainly does. And uh, I guess I like to win as next, as much as the next guy. But, man, at some point, you've got to draw the line and save yourself. It's just a kind of a game. You know, is it really that important to sell your soul and, and bring in some of these
1: kind of nefarious characters? It is uh, Tom Deanhart at Golden Black Illustrated. How far do you think this Boilermaker team can go, Tommy D.? Well, I think you can go to Final Four. I, mean, I got him in the Final Four. Should I feel secure? Yeah. I won't. yeah. Why
3: not? I mean, if matchups fall right, if the big key, of course, is going to be, can they hit their shots from the outside? Can they hit their threes? They, not, they haven't had a good game shooting threes. It seems like in years. I'm exaggerating there, but because we know Zach is going to get all the attention, if Purdue's knocking down shots, forget it. They're going to be able to play with anybody. That's going to be the key. They've got to find their stroke. They've got to get a lawyer in a groove. Raiden Smith can't always go 0 for 8. He's got to show a little more consistency. Mason Gillis. So, again, if they hit their shots, there's no doubt about it. But as, as we've seen this tournament, you know, anybody can lose any time,
1: obviously. Are you surprised that teams don't press them more? Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, how, you would think at this point, well, they've had, how long have they had to work on this?
1: It seems like munch. Yeah, Matt told me yesterday that Weber said something like, "Hey, do you ever work on the press and practice?" Jokingly. <laughs> and what did against, you say? I mean, it's Matt? against Penn State, and normally this normally we only see this in desperate times for the opposing team. But I, I mean, Penn State had them all discombobulated; they were a mess.
3: That's. I mean, that's that's what that's what that's what makes Purdue fans toss and turn at night, I guess. And, uh, is, and can you imagine, I think, to Arkansas, 40 minutes of hell with, with Nolan Richardson. Yes. If if, if if you can speed Purdue up and get them to play at a tempo like that and just get after him, press him with a bunch of 6'8 guys with long arms, you know, Purdue's going to really struggle, I would think. I mean, I love Braden Smith, but gosh darn, man, he looks like he's 5'5 five five out there and he's, you know, he's still a true freshman. I love he's a gutty guy that'll attack the rim, but my goodness, uh, he, he's going to have trouble matching up, I think, as, as they get deeper in this, in this big dance.
1: And the one thing when I watch is if if Caleb first is rebound putting back or cutting mm-hmm. and cutting to the basket and laying it up or up and unders, that's great. When he squares up and shoots a three, you might as well run back to the other end.
3: <laughs> to me, the, the, the two key guys, you know, Newman's really come on. Newman's got to play well.
1: He does, yeah.
3: And, of course, Mason Gillis, too. Those two guys can give you a little injection of athletic ability. They can run the court good defensively. Newman's gotten to the point where now if it's his offense isn't, isn't clicking, he doesn't let it affect his defense. We've seen him play pretty well defensively, and they need him, at least on the defensive end. He can get some turnovers, get some easy run rundowns off of turnovers. So again, to me, Brandon Newman and Mason Gills may be the guys who really hold the key aside pre- from just hitting shots as well.
1: Does uh does first hit those threes? Because I, I maybe it's just when I watch. It just seems like when he he does it a couple of times a game, and from what I've watched, it rarely, if ever, goes in.
3: He can. Not everybody on that team, except for can can score up and hit a three. Even Trey Kaufman ran can go out and hit a three. So there's there again, there's not one guy that plays meaningful minutes that cannot Hit a three again. So that's, there's not many guys. So, a lot of them. So, 40,
1: he shot 42% from three this year. Did first? First?
3: Um, I I don't, yeah, I don't have the stats in front of
1: me. I'm looking at his splits right now. It said 42% on the season, yet 19.5 at home. So he must really blister it on the road, I guess. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. He's a guy,
3: you know, he's one of those guys. There's a lot of guys on Purdue that. they may not score any points or one or two points in one game. The next game, they'll have double digits. So I guess it's nice having an array of guys who can step up if somebody's having an off night. Um, the one constant force is always Edie and the load he carries. So, yeah, they 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 got some guys who can all shoot it, but they've just struggled out of the way to do yeah. collectively well here for, 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 for at least one good stretch of games here. And if you go cold, as we know, boy, put the yep. lights out for you.
1: Uh, you get on a run, though. You get on a little oh, bit yeah. of a run. You don't have to be a great shooting team to get on a run of a couple of day, games consecutively where, where you look like one. And that's part of, uh, I'm sure, Boilermaker fans and their hope. Tom Deanhart of Golden Black Illustrated covering the Boilermakers and more on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Lover of docking, too. Appreciate oh, you, brother. Yes.
3: <laughs> You're good, John. Hang in and have fun. All right. Enjoy watching the game. Stay in touch.
1: You know it. Thanks, Tommy.
3: Life is full of things to manage. Your work
1: Meantime, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. Kevin Bowen joins us in the morning show. Kevin and Query. Have you noticed that Jim Marseille has been a lot more quiet and away from social media here recently?
4: Yeah, I guess now you say that, um, yeah, he probably has. You know, to be totally honest, John, I'm always curious who is actually firing off Send. on.
1: How often do you, of you think it's him? Tweets. How often do you think it's him?
4: Well, I I think if you look at the punctuation of the tweets, we can probably decipher (laughs) when it is him versus maybe uh, Pete Ward or some people in their social media department um, sending those tweets. So I I would guess a a smaller percentage than you would think. I just can't – I mean, I, I just can't imagine him dialing up, you know, twitter here at whatever it was 445 and it's like we have yeah. released matt ryan or you know someone sent him the trade graphic of stefan gilmore and he's making sure that he tweets out the picture of the graphic maybe i'm dead wrong but um i don't know i have a little bit of a feeling that he's probably not sending a high percentage of those
1: kev we've been talking about haven't we um lineman a kicker and bringing back Ashton Doolin is basically the what only skill position that some of us were looking for that they have addressed so far with Paris Campbell still hanging out out there. And I know that it's not like that there's a great deal of, for example, wide receivers or skill position players uh, on the market. It's not very robust. But I guess we all should not be surprised whatsoever the path so far that Chris Ballard has taken because as we've all talked about, there's not going to be much of a change whatsoever. Not a change in philosophy. There is still a lot more of this. Is my way. This is what I believe in, and this is the path we continue to take.
4: Yeah, I mean, if you want to get super technical, you know, there are structures, some contracts, a hair differently, but that's really it. I mean, it's all pretty much the same. And I think you and I have had this conversation for several Wednesdays in a row. Uh, we'll believe it when we see it, and and it's been. You know, very typical him. Um, you know, the expanding of cap space, the move to Stefan Gilmore, that is different. It's probably more of a reality of admitting, uh, a place that you are in as a franchise that you are not used to being in at all. And so that's a little bit of that. Obviously we've seen this sort of quarterback move and getting rid of them earlier than you thought in terms of that Ryan today. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it seems like Ngakwe's gone. Epicom takes his place. You know, the Paris Campbell thing, I'm very curious to see what the market looks like for Campbell. I mean, they are, you know, very Colts-specific ties around the NFL that I think would love to have Paris Campbell. And I know the Colts want to bring him back, but how he views that, I know Campbell loves Indianapolis, loves, you know, being here. I should say loves being here because he's still here. But um, how that plays out will be interesting because speed guys, I think, get paid in free agency. Uh, but outside of that, I think it's been really quiet on the offensive line. I was a little surprised to see that. I think you could use some personnel additions there in the interior and just kind of an insurance swing tackle out on the edge. And certainly cornerback is a huge need. I know it's a very good draft for corners, so you'll certainly tap into that. But I still think it'd be wise to you know, bring in a guy that has some experience as well.
1: When you say tap into that, that makes me giggle. Well done. <laughs>
4: <laughs> there, are, there, there are times that i say things and i'm like gosh yeah. mark dykes in seventh grade humor is going to laugh really I, hard at that i need to and say
1: tap into that times. more yes yeah well <laughs> i will i'll, I'll try to uh,
4: use that on a more frequent basis to get you laughing
1: yeah please do appreciate that i <laughs> I, I will say this <laughs> regarding the uh wide receiving market of free agents I, his the price tag on Campbell because there's just not a great deal there, maybe to a point where Ballard and Company don't want to mess with it. So that was mm-hmm. my thought.
4: Well, yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. I, I would make it very clear that the signing of Ashton Doolin in no way, shape, or form should have any impact. No, 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 but, but you got to keep in schedule.
1: mind who we're talking about here, though.
4: Right. I, I just. I've seen a few people ask me that, so that's more of just trying to get that out there. I I know that's not what you were inferring there. And, and, you know, the thing about Campbell that I think is a little bit different, you know, I've said with him, you know, injury incentive, short-term deal. That's the route that I would go off of. You know, obviously, he played every single game last season, just an awesome accomplishment, everything he's been through, but you can't ignore the first three years. But I think you've got to keep in mind, and this is so important for – the young quarterback in all likelihood, you've got to make sure that it's a diverse skill set and some guys that can do things after the catch. And I think with Shane Steichen, Paris Campbell can provide some of that. And he's different than Pierce. He's different than Pittman. I mean, Pittman and Pierce are a little bit similar body types. Campbell is a different body type and certainly is a different speed, more of that slot guy. And all of a sudden, you know, if if Paris Campbell walks in free agency and – I know it doesn't look like it's going to happen, but, you know, people have thrown out the name of Mo Alley-Cox as a, a, a as a cap, you know, casualty guy. I don't think that'll happen, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, all of a sudden, your most experienced pass catcher is Mo Alley-Cox, or it is Michael Pittman. And that is not what you want for a young quarterback at all. I mean, if you think back to Peyton Manning, you know, obviously Marvin was still pretty young, but there are a lot of veteran wideouts on that team in 1998. If you think back to Andrew Luck, you obviously made a big, important re-signing and in, in Reggie Wayne, and I know that you know people might laugh at the name, but when you consider the other free agent wideouts the Colts have had in the last decade, you know a guy like Donnie Avery was was important to Luck early in those years. So the fact that again Wayne was more of that guy, I think it's so important that you not only provide a young quarterback with some support at that position, but I think having some veteran support is important as well.
1: It's so Kevin Bowen of the Morning Show. Kevin and Quarry, weekday mornings here on the fan. He is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Um, just for fun here, what would have surprised you more? Chris Ballard giving up what it would take to get up to number one and choosing the quarterback of his liking, their liking, or Chris Ballard deciding to to make a run at Lamar Jackson? What would you laugh at more? Because really, both of those are in the category of me laughing at. But which one would you laugh at more?
4: Yeah, honestly, on the Lamar front, I'd probably have more of a question if Jim Irsay would do it. I mean, like guaranteed money—that's—that's uh, that's big for an owner, especially one. And I don't think it's kind of too crazy to throw out this thought out there. But I mean, Jim Irsay views himself as some steward of the NFL and one of the more now long-term owners, and I think he looks at what Cleveland did with Deshaun Lawson's contract, and I think he will want to stand up for ownership. So, you know, that deal of whatever, five or six years and upwards of 200-some million, I'd be, I'd have more of the question on Lamar Jackson uh, for Ursay than I would Ballard. Um, if you view it in the hypothetical that you threw out there, Lamar or moving up to one, yeah, probably move, moving up to one. Um, it would obviously cost a ton. We know that Chris Bauer is not a fan of trading up. And, you know, Bauer is the guy that I think views, if I'm trading up to the number one overall pick, you've got to be absolutely can't miss whatsoever, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer, all of that. And it's a very high standard that he holds. Um, I, I probably would differ in that. And, and I realize the price would be high. I also think it's important to pay to have first choice. Maybe that player is not what the number one pick usually means. But if that means you get the first choice over a division rival and over a team in Carolina that has people in your organization that have, I would say, impact, or uh, probably intel is a better word, that have intel into your draft process at a quarterback, that to me is worth entertaining and worth looking into. But I'll also say this, John, I, I don't know, you know, obviously you could throw picks on top of picks on top of picks. I don't know if the Colts could have made a more attractive trade package than Carolina. And to me, that's more of a reflection on where you're at as a franchise in that a guy like D.J. Moore, by all accounts, was kind of a difference maker in that trade, in that you're getting a guy that is on a second contract, proving himself in this league as a three-time 1,000-yard receiver, and has been very durable. Michael Pittman might get there someday, but he's not there yet. And it's just another reminder of, You know, you've got good players at non-premium positions, but Chicago, in wanting and needing to find help for Justin Fields, they needed that position to be wide out, and the Colts just don't have that.
1: Hey, Kev, so yesterday I thought ushered in the realization of what this team is going to be in 2023 regarding Stephon Gilmore. You know, maybe it wasn't the total package of an example, but I think it was part of the package, and going back – to the fall, Rick Carlisle came on here and, you know, preached patience. Uh, and then in December, the Pacers won games and got everybody excited, right? Gave them a reason to keep coming back, a reason to be interested. You think we'll ever get that level of transparency and real from the Colts regarding what fans should expect? Or do they believe that either, A, fans already know it, or they don't want to tell the fans that in general? What do you think?
4: Yeah, it's a good question. You know, something I kind of threw at Stephen Holder earlier today of you know viewing the Stefan Gilmore trade almost like the Karis Levert trade of a couple years ago, and then you had the Sabonis, and then you had the Brogden, and that's when the Pacers obviously you know showed their cards, and then eventually Kevin Pritchard's words backed that up, and how big of a rebuild that they were deciding to undergo. Uh, I think it's a little harder to do in the NFL. And I think there's there's ego everywhere, but I think there's even more ego to admit that. Again, actions probably have to admit it more than anything. And, and I think Gilmore was a bit of that admittance yesterday. Um, so I, I don't think we get to that point. I, I just I it's such a foreign thought for me, John. I mean, you know, I, I don't you know if you are kind of in my age bracket, like you're not used to the Colts. You know, having 412 and one, or, you know, not having, you know, an answer at quarterback. And now you look at the AFC, and no matter what they do in the draft, obviously, I mean, you're looking at some great young quarterbacks all across the AFC. And it's just kind of a foreign existence for the Colts to be looking up at all that quarterback help. Like they're looking at the window of everybody playing in the backyard, and they're not allowed to go out there because they just don't have that position um at all you know figured out and I guess that kind of gets back to a little bit of the draft debate of you know when you go 4-12-1 and on top of not winning a division in eight years in a division that you know is very winnable and you have the embarrassment of this past season and you haven't drafted a quarterback in the first three rounds in a decade I mean to me all of that adds up that you, you've got to come away with a quarterback and You know, coming away with a quarterback that you have an early choice on is the path that I think should have been explored a little bit more because I'm not saying the Colts are going to get the third-best quarterback in this draft if they sit there at four in Arizona. It doesn't take a quarterback, but they will get the third choice. I think there's a difference there. You know, having the third selection at QB doesn't mean you're getting the third-best one, but it means you've got to dodge other teams. And, again, I think it's worth repeating – You are dodging teams in Houston that's in your division, and you'll see that franchise, obviously, uh, a whole lot here moving forward. And then in Carolina's case, I know a lot of people think Frank Reich, of course, with a little bit of the intel. I'd point more towards Brian Decker, who is a big part of the Colts completing the draft profile on these guys. He was actually – he sat in on the head coaching interviews throughout. He's a close confidant of Chris Ballard's. He left to go join Frank Reich in Carolina and he's a guy that does a lot of kind of the, uh, the neck up, you know, part of the profile on these draft prospects, we can make fun of that. We can say, you know, culture, character, and, you know, whatever, personality. That matters when I think you're separating quarterbacks. Like, if you find that drive and there is a separator there, that matters. And if you're Brian Decker and you know the opinion that you gave Chris Ballard in the fall and going out and seeing those guys, you're probably going to make sure Carolina knows that as well, and I'm curious if that played into Carolina's urgency to get all the way up to number one.
1: Hey, Kev, you were there when when I had Chris Ballard on a couple of weeks ago at the combine. He kind of the, the first thing he started was joking about trading down, and I never took that as a joke because I think that that is always just a part of the way that he is built, and I still think that he would be absolutely unafraid to trade down. I believe that they think right now or i guess you would have to know that they like one particular quarterback and they can get that quarterback at 4 as we sit here right now but do you think there's any thought with going a different direction at 4 and then i don't know i guess you'd have to trade up with a second rounder with what they have right now trying to get in a you know a deal where you can maybe take a look at at Hooker or somebody like that as a second round pick at quarterback you think that at all is being tossed around as a thought?
4: Um, I, I I do um, I I do I I also think at this point you got to toss everything out there. But to to your point, um, I I think it is something that's being discussed. You know, a couple questions I would have. First off, I don't think Hendon Hooker gets you at pick thirty five. So to your point, no, you'd have to you have to trade up. Him, yeah, yeah, you've got to get. I think you got to get back into round one. Um, you could point to a lot of teams. You know, after pick five, that I think would be interested in a, a quarterback. The question that I would have at four is, you know, what if Will Anderson is there? Let's play out a hypothetical and say, all right, you know, Seattle sits there or whatever. Detroit sits there at the sixth pick. They have another first-round pick. I think it's eighteen. Let's say they trade up to three and they draft a the quarterback. Now Arizona moves back to six, and now three quarterbacks are off the board. So it's either Will Levis or Will Anderson. Let's say they take Anthony Richardson, uh, the Lions do, to sit behind Jared Goff for a couple years. And the Colts are sitting there, and you have that debate of Anderson, Levis, or, you know, whatever, maybe a trade back. You know, if you were to say, and I don't know if Will Anderson is this player, but if you were to say Will Anderson, defensive end out of Alabama, is going to be a dozen sat guy for the next decade, considering how important that position is, would you take him right there? And then all of a sudden, you try to maneuver your way back into round one, get hooker, something like that. It's a thought that since Friday, since Carolina made that move to one, it's crept more into my head. That's why I think the Colts should go up to three right now. I think they should trade up to three for multiple reasons Uh, because you now are in control of where the draft can pivot and can start. We know one and two is going to be a quarterback. You get up to three, and either you have the pick, and let's say it goes C.J. Stroud one, Bryce Young two. You have the pick of Anthony Richardson or, or or Will Levis, and you also are now fielding all these calls because, you know, let's say in a few weeks, John, the Florida pro day happens, and Tennessee's sitting there at, at 11, and with a new GM. They're like, oh, my gosh, Anthony Richardson, he blew us away. We had a private workout with him after the pro day, and we are sold on him. Well, you don't want Tennessee calling Arizona in late March, early April – and getting up to three, and now you get the fourth selection at quarterback. I think those are all possibilities you've got to play out. I know that some might say uh, moving up one spot is kind of a waste. I'd want to move up there to either have the choice under this scenario of a Levis or a Richardson or your field field fielding calls. And maybe you trade back, you know, in a month again. So maybe you don't make the selection there at three after you reevaluate and see what type of trade calls you would get, but that's something I think you would you need to look really, really long and hard at here uh, very soon. Hey,
1: Kev, I think one of the people that would say or feel that that would be a waste would be the guy making the decision, and Chris Ballard, four to three, or hopes he does not have to be, <laughs> be thrust into that, because that would seem like that's very unballard-like trying to give up to something and and you know not be sold i mean you would really have to be sold on four unlike we believe right i mean how how sold do you think they are on this quarterback Uh, wouldn't you have to be sold on the guy you believe all along you can get it for unlike you were sold enough to trade up to have you know the pick on the person you're sold on i i mean there's not a lot that makes a great deal of sense about a deeply rooted belief and the quarterback they're going to be selecting, we assume.
4: Yeah, I, I guess to the first part of your question there, it's time for Chris Ballard to start doing unballard like things. You know, when you've done it the way he's done it for six years, going into his seventh year, um, you, you're fortunate to still have a job. Ninety-some percent of GMs with his resume would have been fired at this point. That's um, why the, the last two Januaries, the first question I've asked him at each press conference has been, do you feel like you need to alter your roster building philosophy, whatever you want to call it, approach because it has not worked out and the trajectory is going the other way. It's not like you've you know you, you, you've done you pivoted in year four and now you're starting to see some positive signs. No, 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 it, it's going the other way, heading into year seven. Uh, to the point about trading up, you know obviously if if you view Stroud and Bryce Young, on a tier, and then Levis and Richardson on another tier, you would have to have separation in Levis or Richardson for that to really matter, of course. Like, if you feel conviction one way or the other on Levis or Richardson, then that's why I think you would move up to three. And again, you know, how much of the process is still incomplete? You know, do these pro days matter? Do private workouts matter? Do bringing these guys into your facility, you know, is that what can push these guys do that next rung up the ladder or separate them a little bit. I mean, clearly, you know, Jalen Carter is a guy that's seen his stock. It seems like off the field and on the field drop based off the combine and the news of the arrest. And then, you know, what his pro day looked like as well. So I still think there's time to kind of complete that profile. And that's why I think you got to get ahead of that, get ahead of it either for your own sake or get ahead of it in case another team wants to jump you. And if for some reason there isn't that separation, I still think you would field enough calls to where someone would have interest in trading for that third pick. Or, again, if worse comes to worse, you take Will Anderson and you hope that he can be, again, a 10-12 sack guy for, for for a decade. I think these are all thoughts you have to have. I don't really love or have great conviction on any of them because I felt like Stroud and, and, and I think Stroud and Young are on a tier above the other two but this is the reality and this is the bed that you've made and and you got to figure out you know how best to maneuver
1: it to answer a couple of things you brought up because i asked twice in different ways about the philosophy and i thought both times the way that he answered it two weeks ago was that he was going to be nearly the same and we know that he's he's going to be hard-headed about this i don't see him changing much whatsoever and we've kind of seen that certainly to a degree so far and the other aspect is when you're talking about pro days as much stock is apparently what they put into the combine compared to what they see on film i I would have to think they put less stock into these pro days which are ready made even more than what you see at the combine right even though if it's somebody that hasn't thrown until they get to their own pro day for example
4: yeah, I should have I, I should have clarified that better. You are getting to know these prospects more
1: and more. This interview you, interview wise is yes, the difference. Interview
4: wise, I'm talking all behind right, the scenes, one on one. They're coming to your facility for a top 30 workout and or a top 30 visit is I think how it's phrased. And obviously, the visit is not about going into your indoor facility and working them out. It's about you know taking them out to eat and you know all right you know here we are. at whatever, Boathouse Grill right there by the facility. And, 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 get my lobster and get dirty.
1: You. <laughs> <laughs> Boathouse Grill, great, a great spot, by the way. Oh, um, I'm sorry. You know, I, was, I was thinking of Rick's Boathouse and Cafe uh, sure. out Rick, there. So. Rick's.
4: Rick's as well. Hey, if we get a nice spring day here, definitely head, head over to Rick's. Um, that's where I think you are completing more of this. Yes. The pro day, on-field stuff, that doesn't matter. It's more of private workouts, you know, one-on-one, getting them into your facility for these visits that's when you are kind of completing this profile. And, you know, Shane Steichen said it you know a few weeks ago at the Combine of that's oftentimes what the difference is. You know, you can work with their different athletic traits. Uh, Shane Steichen has probably proven that uh, more than a lot of people with his quarterback background. But what what Steichen has said is kind of a non-starter. You know, you have got to make sure you're wired like Jalen Hurts, like Justin Herbert, like Phillip Rivers. And that's what I think you're finding out in more of these behind-the-scenes stuff. So. All
1: right, Kev, what's your Final Four look like?
4: Ooh, I got my bracket. Oh, boy, that's my wife's bracket. Let's see what my wife's
1: got. I has got a... Up, <laughs> Mandy! Baylor? Let me hear Maddie's first. Let me see that. Yep, Let me hear okay.
4: that. Maddie's got Baylor. I don't know if that's a Valpo connection there, but she's going with Baylor.
2: Does she go to Valpo?
4: No, I just – Scott Drew, I I, I just thought a little bit of a, I don't know, Homer Drew sort of connection here. Did Maddie go to IU with you? She did. So she's got IU winning it all. She's got Purdue in the championship game. So not not too much venom towards West Lafayette there from her. And she's got the fighting Jamie Dixons coming out of the West region. Mm
1: -hmm. There you go. A little TCU action. Hey, did you guys meet when you were drunk?
3: (laughs) <laughs> um sure yeah uh but fortunately
1: we
4: also then talked sober and everything no seriously did you really out, meet yeah. when you
1: were drunk we uh I mean
4: she went to Chitard, and I went to cathedral like we kind of had some mutual friends. oh so you already, already mean, knew
1: one another so you didn't really meet because I met my wife I was com I was 19 different ways blasted
4: <laughs> yeah I, I I will say like the first time yeah. it turned into like hey we should go on a date there were there were definitely a couple of drinks involved.
1: Did yeah. you did you guys uh, so do dates first... alone or did you? I was a group date guy. Like I wanted all my friends around me on a date, and still yeah, would. The
4: first couple were were one on one, but yeah, we did do. I, yeah, yeah, I, I can I can I can think of a couple group.
1: I love group dates. Of group dates. Group dates. Group dates at McCree's Deli. There was nothing better <laughs> than that.
4: I love that. Uh, my final four. I've got Arizona. <laughs> Arizona. I've got Arizona beating Yukon in the national title game.
1: Yukon, I have Arizona Purdue, Texas Gonzaga. I have I have Arizona and Gonzaga. That's Tommy Lloyd, the longtime assistant for Mark Few and Mark Few, and I have Gonzaga winning and here's why because this is a season where they're a three seed. This is a season where they've been to two national championship games and lost. This is a season where even I have said they're not nearly as good as they have been at least a couple of times in the past five or six years. And in the landscape of college basketball where everything is even, so much parity going on out there, I think this is going to be the team for Mark Few that breaks through. And they won the national really? title.
4: Okay, I've got them losing to UCLA in the Sweet 16. It does seem like this Gonzaga team is totally different than the one you know Purdue saw early in the year. So yeah, I feel I don't know. I feel I don't know if I feel good about it. But like, is Marcus Sasser healthy for Houston? And I think one of Purdue's toughest games would be Memphis in round two.
1: Well, don't say that because we got to get FAU in there. I don't want any Memphis.
4: Well, I – Selfishly, I would like to see FAU because um, they got a 7'1", hundred and forty-pound Russian dude. Yeah, and I'd love to see Zach Eady go at it.
1: Goldie, yeah, that's, I believe um, he transferred from Texas Tech if uh, memory serves, and what Dusty right. said. So D- Dusty May was great with you. Uh, oh, he's uh, a good yeah, dude too. He and he has he's been at this for such a long time on so many. Different staffs, and I know what he he puts into it. I I'm surprised, I guess, because you're playing right now. But you had these jobs open, you know. Ole Miss goes, you know, with Beard the clown, and I think Stoudemire gets Georgia Tech. I was a little bit surprised. I haven't heard he any mention anyplace else in a in a, a power five type of conference. But he seems to be cool with wanting to stay. I just I hope for his sake, Kevin. This is true. The outlook inside the transfer portal. Um, I hope that. If they play well, at least in a game against Memphis, or even with the body of work they've already presented, I hope that you don't have guys get poached because you know there's going to be a lot of that going on.
4: Could we get him in South Bend? Would he take the Notre Dame job? Why do <laughs> yeah. you ask him that?
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't think he wants me to take it there. I, I mean, listen, Boca Raton's a but good place to be. Um, yeah, just I wonder how how other teams may treat his team. You know, as far as trying to to break it up. But again, it all is either the body of work so far or what you end up doing in in this first game or these first two games if you're fortunate enough to get there. But no, I'm really proud of him. I really am proud of it and happy for what he has done. And I think IU wins at Kent State, which is to me questionable. I want to pick Drake over Miami. But I'm, I guess I'm kind of gutless there. If Miami beats Drake, I think Miami is going to be a big problem after that first win for IU with their guard play in that second matchup. So,
4: Are you saying South Bend is better than Boca Raton? Is that what I heard? <laughs> it might be a a,
1: yes, much better. Much, much better. I know we're up against it, but I got, I got Drake in the Sweet 16. I, I got yeah. state winning. Well, DeVries is a good player. He's a good player, yeah. and I've said we all along. Him and his dad in South Bend. Yeah, I've said all along that they could win. I, I just, that initial matchup against Miami, I'm a little bit skeptical about that for Drake. And Drake, by the way, Drake struggled in December, but they have been lights out since. So that's good for you, so.
4: Miami's big guy, a little banged up. So yes. I'll, I'll be curious to see how that one plays
1: out. And by the way, Jim Laranega will not play Dusty anymore because it was a close game last year. So Miami is not on the Florida Atlantic schedule. So Laranega said, really? nope, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs> he does kind of me the wrong way.
1: Coaches and their challenges and their mantras and all that crap make me laugh sometimes. My brother, I appreciate it. You and Jake, tomorrow morning at 7. Yep, John, enjoy the uh, road shows here coming up for you then.
0: Hey, fans, want new flooring and want it now. March is the time to buy it floors to your home, right, Brian Kahn? It really is, JMV. We have the state's largest selection of new flooring in stock. And we've just received additional truckloads of new hardwood, laminate, and waterproof flooring. So we're marking everything down. Brian, I'm looking at some of your incredible deals. We always sell up to 50% off those big box stores. But for a limited time, you can get new flooring starting at just $0.80 a square foot. 80 cents a square foot? That's incredible. That's three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof starting under $350 at Floors to Your Home. And you can get it right now. We have over 1,200 styles in stock. Floors to Your Home is the place for the lowest prices anywhere in Indiana. I'm doing my whole house. Three very convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who has the lowest prices on flooring? Floors to Your Home. That's who.